Tuesday, Sandos and the sidekick back with you. We're talking ETSU, men's basketball, women's basketball. Although I don't want to talk about Coach Oliver right now. We'll get into that later. But uh, We are going to do that later, though. Uh, a lot of that. I don't want to. I don't. I took enough punishment on the Coach Show last night. I really don't want to talk. And you, I can't <laughs> believe, who had no dog in a fight, immediately jumped ship. Just turned. Not that you were on a ship, but you picked a side and went full heel on me and completely drug me more than I was getting drugged to begin with. Would you believe that I did not plan that, and after Coach Oliver played the song, like, what what was he playing it through? Like, his own? His phone. He he just, yes. I could barely hear it. No one could really hear it, so I was like, okay, well, I want context for the song for people because Coach Oliver was referencing the song and playing the song, and you had shown me the song, and so thankfully, because you had given me the song already, which was your first mistake, I went through that, and then while I was getting that, I was like... Well, it'd be funny just to the song, but wouldn't it be even funnier if I totally piled on way no, more than not, I needed to not, and just highlights funny. over and over and over, seven touchdowns for seven possessions, a gazillion to nothing. It was fantastic. I don't know who I felt more My sorry for. Me? I'm sure it was. Did <laughs> I feel sorry for me or I and Eagle having to come up with different adjectives for the beatdown that he was having to watch? Which he did come up with some good ones. Stampede, the barrage for the alliteration. Um, there are a few others I can't remember right now, but he did come up with quite the amount. He's good. He's good. There's no doubt. I think he jots those out pregame. Uh, well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if he that. jotted that out pregame because I'm sure he didn't expect the 47. Sure. But, you know. I think he has a couple little ones that he's like, all right, I better work in Stampede for the Bills. Sure. I work in Barrage yeah. for yeah. Buffalo. Yeah. It was, uh, it was well done. Well, they certainly didn't have to circle the wagons. He didn't have to go Chris Berman on us uh, no. because they were not circling. The, well, they were circling the pats, but they weren't circling the wagons. They were circling they were, uh, the drain where the Patriots by the end of the game, oh. unfortunately for me. Yeah, that was uh, that was there. And then, uh, what, we got bold recap, uh, and that'll do it? Or do you even have Yeah, that bold recap. Okay. A women's basketball review and preview, too. Yeah, a lot we got going lots on. of basketball. All right, I guess we'll start uh, each issue men's basketball on the road at Sanford. It was a little bit of a tale of two endings, I think, for the last two games. Furman, Bucks go last three minutes without points uh, in a place that they seem to never win. And then they go to a place where they apparently are never going to lose ever in history of mankind. And they go to Sanford and manage to score enough um, in a tie ball game late to win the game. So. Yes, there's a difference in competition. I get that. Furman is better than Sanford. I think we all agree with that. That's not a, you know, a controversial take by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, ETSU right now, every other game seems like they're figuring out ways to pull it out and win. And every other game they're feeling like they're not necessarily. So, three and three. And 
I guess we need to finish the game before we start going maybe overview thoughts because the Bucks will have three games in a row. They got twelve games left, six apiece, home and away. Next three happen to be at home, which means six of the last nine will be on the road when you go the second time through. So, sticking with this, I thought Jaden Seymour, and I'm, I'm cl- we got a question about him last night on the coaches show, and he was a guy I was going to touch on because I think he has he started to figure out what he needs to be, if that makes sense. I think what he was asked to do early in the year is not what he's doing now. He's certainly playing out of position. He is not a center. He's not a five or whatever term you want to use for inside post play. But he was able to understand the scouting report, got a couple. I thought he had three blocks. I think he got slighted on a block. Uh, There were a couple blocks ETSU didn't get credit for. Uh, there were just missed shots that were deflections. But I thought he had three blocks. He got credited with two. But I thought he had three blocks in the game. He's starting to run in transition and score in transition because the advantage of him playing the five, as opposed to the disadvantage of him guarding a guy 50 to 70 pounds more than him inside, is the advantage that he outruns everybody. And he's so athletic, and we've seen him get buckets by just outrunning everyone and getting down the floor. So I think he's starting to figure it out. I think David Sloan made several plays down the stretch that were game-changing, game-winning plays, and you're starting to get more and more of those plays than what we saw earlier in the year. Um, and so, you know, Sloan kind of has a flair for the dramatic and seems to flip a switch when he when he cuts it on. But that was the most complete game if you look at it. And, again, I realize Sanford gives up a lot of points, but ETSU, what, five players, the starters, in double figures. You got a lot off the bench, and even though Vonnie Patterson didn't score, there were a couple of plays that I referenced during the game, and he was always in there for defensive purposes late in the game. But I felt like this was a game where it's tough for me to look at one guy and go, you know, that guy didn't really play well. I felt like were there stretches where guys maybe didn't do something or play here and there, but for the entirety of the game, I felt like this was one of the more team collective efforts that we've seen so far from ETSU. Certainly offensively, right? And you know Sanford is going to get their points, and that's what they hang their hat on. Bucky ball, bucky ball, bucky ball. Ah. But ETSU was able to counter some of that bucky ball with some impressive offense of their own. There's no question. I think the most encouraging thing was to see that entire team effort with, as you said, even Bonnie Patterson, you know, four rebounds in 14 minutes, right? So, yes, he didn't score. That's not really his role. Hasn't really been his role for this team since he's been here. And I think actually where they've gotten in trouble with Bonnie is trying to make him a score. I think that's when he has had some of his worst games. And so just letting the game come to him as he did, you know, had the assist, had the four rebounds, only took one shot, but that's okay. He can go in and scrap and start breaks, hit outlet passes, and go crash the offensive glass, so on and so forth. Um, Everybody else had seven points or more, and as you said, all five starters were in double figures, and David Sloan's really starting to, and Desmond Oliver referenced this on the coach's show last night, boy, he's referenced it honestly pretty consistently over the last week or so in different settings, but he feels that David is becoming one of the best point guards in the country, certainly one of the best point guards in the SOCON, and what he talked about last night was how he's really becoming a leader and that coach on the floor, that floor general, if you will, which is the overused term when we're talking about point guards that like to facilitate, but you look at the numbers and it's true, you know, another double-double, 12 points, 10 assists, and what was it, three games ago had 12 points and 10 assists, and he's filling it up, he's had career highs at scoring too, he's 
making people around him better, which is the most difficult trait that a point guard has to master. And while I'm not sure that, and Coach Oliver did reference this, I'm not sure that David necessarily had mastered that up until recently. Um, he was more of just the really good player, right? But maybe didn't make others around him really good players. He's doing that now as well. Logan Dye was great for Sanford. Uh, so is Jaden Campbell. And the fact that the Bucks pulled this out in the end, I'm extremely happy about because I was getting that kind of sinking feeling that both Campbell and to a lesser extent Die because Die has had some big games but Campbell was Drew Pembering ETSU right like there was just no evidence to explain how this was happening on this day but Jaden Campbell eight shots 20 points I mean six of seven from deep seven rebounds he was having a career day and thankfully ETSU was able to make the most of those last few possessions, Charlie Weber came in and had the big follow dunk to extend it to six. No one was ahead by more than two possessions over the last 14 minutes. And you're seeing now ETSU be able to You talk about learning to win, or Desmond Oliver has certainly a lot over these two months. The Bucks are learning to win, it seems like. There's three games now in a row where they've been separated by five points or less, and ETSU has found a way to get it done. Not three games consecutively on the schedule, but the last three games separated by five or less, they have won those games. And that's after, you know, early on a loss to Appalachian State, right, in a tight game. And it's been interesting to see that maturation because I think there's some that look at that statement from Desmond Oliver and say, what do you mean learn to win? Like, there's a lot of these guys that have won at a high level at various places or here at ETSU, and... I don't understand how they need to relearn this thing that should become inherent to them. Well, I think you're starting to see a little bit of, that, of the fact that, you know, Desmond Oliver has maybe, you know, given them some tips, tricks, maybe the Bucks have just had the experience, whatever it is, that they are learning late in games what works and what doesn't. He, he kind of quantified that with winning championships, not winning individual games, right. but winning championships. And the only thing I can – piggyback off that is if he's talking about like the killer championship teams have killer instincts to put people away I don't think and in necessarily late game sometimes yes it's easy to say in a tie ball game you lose the game you didn't win that and that's a tight situation but there's a lot of times we've seen ETSU even at Furman where they're up eight or ten points in the second half and you're thinking okay they got to stop they can stretch us to double figures it can be a run you can put them away so I'll let Sanford is 59-51 had a chance to put them away and they didn't so Maybe I need to follow up with, is it is it necessarily all late game learning to win, or is it just that championship mentality of I'm just going to step on your throat and go? Well, let's even go there. I'm not sure there's necessarily a throat that they stepped on in Naples, but they won a championship. So it's hard to look at that statement, and I think Coach Oliver is also learning in some of his quotes, like you asked last night, which we're going to talk a lot about in segment two, about his system, his offensive system. I may have poked and prodded you before the show to get some answers on that because I've been wondering a lot about that as well. So we're going to talk a lot about that segment too, but he doesn't always pull back every layer of an answer. It does take a little bit of you know a nudge to be able to do so. So I think there is something to the extent of maybe some clarification there that does need to come from Coach Oliver at some point. But um, point being, you're seeing that late in games – ETSU seems more comfortable. They seem, and this is going to be a wild comparison, but they seem a little bit more like that 2019-20 team. I'm not saying they're going to go and win the rest of the league schedule and run through the postseason, but you remember second halves, and this team isn't performing the second half like that team did, 
but it seemed like they always had that last shot. They always had that last stop. They always had that last play that got them over the hump. And we talked about the stats on the 2019-20 edition of Santos and the Psychic during that great run in January and February that the Bucks were like minus, you know, X in the first half, even though they ended up winning all the games that they did, but they were like plus 10 points per game in the second half. Like it was crazy during the conference season, or at least during February. They got better and better as they went along. And so we know, and Coach Forbes always talked about this, and you know it better than myself, but teams want to peak at the right time. And looking at this team right now, yes, 11-8, and 3-3, and three, is there evidence to suggest that they're going to go and run through the league during the regular season and then go to the postseason and make some noise, get to the championship game, and maybe even go to the NCAA tournament? I'm not sure there's a ton, but it does seem like in a couple of areas that they are progressing a lot over the last month. I think everyone remembers the 17-18 season because they peaked, if you will, early and then lost three straight at home and kind of limped into the tournament and got beat in the championship game. And so you didn't want ETSU this year's version to peak at the Naples tournament, clearly way ahead of time before you get to the Southern Conference tournament, which is the one that matters. And, yes, ETSU took hardware, and I think Coach is rightfully bragging about that, but – same token, the end goal is get to the NCAA tournament, and we know that at least this year's version of Southern Conference is not going to threaten a at-large bid as opposed to what we saw Wofford in the undefeated season, ETSU 30-4. and four. I think both those teams, had it not gone their way, had a legitimate chance of getting in as an at-large. I think what made those teams, and particularly the year you referenced, was the fact that on any given night, different guys could beat you. And I'm not willing to say right now that team can do it, but when you get all starters and double figures, that's starting to be a complete team that's buying in on, hey, share the ball, take shots, you know, take smart shots. I think the fact that they have started to attack the rim more and proof of that by the dunk stat that we had from Kevin Brown last night, seven, five, and five the last three, I think they're working more on some alley-oops. They're having – David, and I know one of them got wiped out because of fouls beforehand, but him drive and a people collapse instead of throwing a bounce pass or something we've seen earlier, he's just lobbing it up at the rim. And you got Seymour, you got Ty Brewer, you certainly got Ladarius Brewer. You got guys that can play above the rim and go get it. I mean, again, you probably don't think about Charlie Weber playing above the rim, although he jumps very high, but he had maybe the biggest follow dunk in the game. And, you know, again, it was a little bit of a ho hum play considering he didn't have but eight points, but. He comes in in a situation and, and extends the lead. And, you know, I think it's just sort of everyone is starting. And I think Charlie coming off the bench, I know people have asked me about that. Why don't they put, you know, Charlie back in the start lineup? He was starting before. I think he plays better off the bench, you know. And I think for Seymour and a freshman, that, and I don't know Jaden enough. I know he laughs, he smiles. He's always telling a joke whenever I talk to him. I don't know his psyche enough to know, you know, would he take a step back you know, if he got sort of demoted. Now, yes, he got Wally Pipp to get in the lineup, or Charlie got Wally Pipp for him to get in the lineup. But in the same token, I mean, Charlie Weber played 20 minutes. Jaden Seymour played 19 minutes. So they're still going to play equal number of minutes. I think Charlie is built better coming off the bench. Um, it just strikes me as that. And Seymour strikes me as a kid that probably confidence-wise needs to be starting. So I like the fact that, Everyone's sort of settling in. I find it interesting that Jordan King um, 
plays better after losses. I found it interesting. I guess he made a comment to the newspapers and, and some of the media yesterday when he met with them that basically he felt like the team after wins doesn't have a sense of urgency. And I thought that was a you know, very a mature quote that like, hey, when we win, we're loving ourselves. There's no urgency. But when we lose, like all of a sudden everybody's like, okay, we got to get it back. And so how do you – and maybe that's what coaches talk about. need to get that championship-level team. Every game needs to have urgency. Every game's equally important. You know, you certainly want to get a high seed as you can. I mean, certainly a top-two seed in the Southern Conference. And although you still have to win – three games, but you certainly have – you get the first game, a team less than 24 hours after they play another game. Now, we've seen some of those teams win, but there are some advantages to getting that seed and playing it out. So, I think some of the things are turning, you're starting to see, you know, and I don't want to say buy-in because I don't feel like anybody's fighting coach. I don't feel like somebody's just bucking the system or has tried to buck the system. I think they've learned the system and trying to play – and understand when he says, I want a quick shot, doesn't mean I want a bad shot, but if it's a shot you practice, don't wait to take the shot. Take the shot. You're, I trust you. I believe in you. Like he's trying to instill into you know, Jordan King. If you get space, shoot the basketball. So, and we'll get into that in segment two, I'm sure, because there's, I got some thoughts on that as well. But I think if the team can build off this win in the style of how they played to get this win, and trusting teammates to make shots, to make plays, and then be a little more relentless on the glass because they're going to be undersized in the post, you know, in pretty much every game. I mean, maybe not the Citadel. Other than that, I I can't think of a game that they would not be given a size in the post. Speaking of belief, I believed in Mercer a lot last year. So did you. This year – you believed again in Mercer, and I said you were crazy. I expected last night Mercer to go on the road to the Citadel and lose. And they went on the road and won, and they're starting to win games multiple ways. They held UNCG to 49 points, held the Citadel to 64 points after not holding an opponent to below 65 in a win the entire season. It seemed like they would have to score – lots and lots to be able to get W's. Well, now, back-to-back, they've won games the other way, where they've held certainly a Citadel offense that can be explosive. Now, UNCG, that's the type of game they want to play, right? 58-49, and Mercer, you know, holding them to what they did. It wasn't totally surprising. UNCG held, I think, Mercer to a number where they would have said, oh, we're happy with that. They just needed to make a few more shots. But Mercer's 4-1, and one, and they're tied at the top of the Southern Conference. And without Naftali Alvarez, I'm sitting here scratching my head, wondering just how this is possible. And then I dove into some stuff today, getting ready for the game tomorrow, 6.30 Buccaneer Sports Network, 7 o'clock, uh, ESPN Plus, uh, and CW Tri-Cities, wherever you want to watch it, listen to it, so on and so forth. Um, Kamar Robertson and James Glisson have been really, really good these last 10 games. And we know about Felipe Hase, probably the most complete big, certainly in the Southern Conference. I'm not really counting Jalen Slauson as a big, uh, but he – if you want to, would compete, I think, with Hase for that title. But in all of mid-major basketball, I mean, Felipe Hase, I think, matches up with pretty much anybody that's 225 pounds or greater in terms of all-around just incredible production and versatility. I mean, he's shooting 49% from outside. That's sixth in the country. He's leading them in points, rebounds, uh, steals. 
right? Like, there's so many different things that he does. We know about him. We have become accustomed to this year, Jalen Johnson. No one really knew what he could do before this year because he had basically just been a Power 5 sub for his entire time at Tennessee and Wake Forest and almost ETSU uh, when he narrowly escaped coming to the mid-major level. Now he's at the mid-major level, and he dropped 30 against VMI. We know that Hase and Johnson are the one, two. Who is going to be the three with Alvarez out? And Glisson and Robertson have been fantastic lately. Robertson, since Alvarez has been out over the last eight games, six double-figure games after averaging three points per game last year. And Glisson, over his last ten, has been double figures in seven of them. So those two have combined to really pick up where Alvarez left off. I'm going to talk with Greg Gary today to see what the status of Alvarez is, but you've also seen the point guard for Mercer um, that isn't Neftali Alvarez, Tallahassee Community College transfer, um, doing good things. You know, Sean Walker Jr. has seemed to be that facilitator that Alvarez was. Now he's not Neftali Alvarez, but they haven't missed Alvarez a ton just because of what others have been able to do. What do you think of the game? Well, Coach Gary's 2-0 and in Freedom Hall. Right, he has one of the four wins uh, against ETSU in the thirty and four year. The only uh, win at Freedom Hall for anybody aside from ETSU. And then um, last year, I, I thought ETSU late in the game was going to be able to sneak that out, and it, it was not. So he's two and zero in the building. Now he's zero and two in his own building, but he's two and zero. So I would be very afraid of this game. And when you're looking at sort of apples to apples, and you get into just some of the league only stats. Hase's third in scoring. Jalen Johnson is sixth in scoring. Then Glisson, as you mentioned, the double figures. He's 20th in scoring. And so they're able to score the basketball. They've been able to figure it out. They've had a few games since Neftali is not in the lineup anymore to kind of figure out who they're going to be. And it'll be interested to see if he's not back then to me, it's an easy transition for them to try to build off what they've been doing. If he comes back, you often wonder sometimes, does that take something away from what they have figured out? I will say this, too. Yes, they've lost to Furman, but the back half of their schedule, I'm just going to read you this five-game stretch here. Okay, now they're going to play ETSU, Western Sanford. Then they go Furman, Wofford, back-to-back, chat, chat at VMI. And then at UNCG, and that game's going to be and then ETSU. to 60. So uh, they got a 4-1. and one. They've done what they're supposed to do. But certainly the road for the Mercer Bears. And the question is, when they get this confidence, and again, if they win today, right, they're 4, or today, tomorrow, sorry, Wednesday, they'd be 5-1 and one, and then probably favored in the next two games. Could be 7-1 and one before they hit that stretch. It could be 7-7 seven and seven after that stretch. <laughs> and then they could turn right around and be 7-7. Seven and seven. But it'll be interesting to see. I'm. It's been a – Coach Gary has figured out whatever it is in Freedom Hall that most league teams have not figured out um, because I don't know that there's many coaches that come in and win their first two games in Freedom Hall in the league. Can right? you recall another head coach that has been on a win streak in Freedom Hall aside from Steve Forbes or Jason Shea or Desmond Oliver over the last six and a half years? I mean, only when ETSU had that, what, seven-game slide to chat. That would be the only – that would be the only other time I can remember somebody went. I remember Toyo walking off the floor after I thought for sure that would be the time the Bucks would beat him, and then him screaming at the fans, this ain't no rivalry. <laughs> I just didn't. And, of course, Kepfel Sergey, now he's played for the Bucketeers. So um, I, I enjoy that. Other than that, since we've been back in the league, you know, Wofford's had 
a win. Furman's had a win, but they've, they've not had, you know, back-to-back or, or rolling what you would call, yes, a streak. And 2-0, and sure, you know, Chat won a couple. But for them to go 3-0 and in three straight years, I, I think would, would you would have to do some research on that because I don't know, you know, unless either Chat did it three in a row and I'm just neglecting to remember because it's Chattanooga then I, I don't know that anybody else would be. And, again, I think that was two different coaches, too. So it wasn't even the, wasn't even the same coach, right. if you want to put it that way. And I'm just playing the odds because ETSU's record over the last six and a half years inside Freedom Hall is 83-18. and 18. So there's only been 18 times they've lost, and two of them have been in the last two years against the same guy. That only leaves 16 others. So just playing the odds. But I think this is going to be a really telling game for both sides. To me, whoever wins – and this is rare, I think, because you usually can look and say, well, this team needs it or this team is favored, or you can reason your way to not coming up to the conclusion that I have, but I can't. I think this is a statement win for either side. Now, I think the majority of people would probably say that it's more of a statement win for Mercer if they're able to come into Freedom Hall and BDTSU, despite the Bucks 3-3 three and three record and Mercer's 4-1 and one record. Because, as you said, that would put Mercer to 5-1. and one. Road wins are always at a premium. And ETSU, despite some struggles this year, has been a powerhouse in the league over those last six and a half years. But I think it's a statement win for ETSU as well because, again, it's every other game right over the last month or whatever it's been. And if it's every other game, then this would point to the Bucks dropping this one. And I think a lot of people believe that ETSU is what they've shown this year, a middle-of-the-road team. I think people believe that. I think that that was shown in the preseason polls, and I think if you asked around the Southern Conference, um, you'd find a lot of people that say this is one of ETSU's more lackluster teams of the last quarter century. So I think that if ETSU beats one of the league, I guess, perch holders right now, then that's also an eye-opener. I'm just curious because I think before the year you go Chat, Furman, Wofford, ETSU, and some sort of semblance of the top four. And Mercer, I think, was knocking on the door. Well, ETSU's losses would be to Chat, Furman, Wofford right now. Mercer goes on to knock off ETSU. They would have really only played Furman, which was a loss, and so they sure. wouldn't be able to do it. So for Mercer to make a step up, I think this would mean probably more to them, although for ETSU to stake the claim that they're going to be in the top four and certainly get another go-around with Furman and Wofford and could – shift that mightily if they were able to pick up some wins. And, yes, Greensboro would like to have something to say about it. But I think considering who they've played, if Mercer's able to pick that win up, I think that would be huge for them in the standings because the road for them, again, they've got to play Chat and Wofford twice, Furman and ETSU one more time, where ETSU just has one go around with those guys. So I this, this will be – I think it will be a good win – for Coach Oliver at home for the simple reason that Jason Shea, Steve Forbes, did not beat Coach Gary and Mercer in Freedom Hall. So I think it would be big for that just to get that win. But standing-wise, I think certainly Mercer would turn a lot of heads if they go ahead and pick up this win on the road at Freedom Hall on Wednesday. So, All right, that's uh, segment one. We're going to break down uh, Coach Oliver. Coming up after this timeout, Sando Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky. But for others, it can open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee Lottery has proudly funded over 1.5 million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130
10,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you play. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, education-benefiting fun. System. Let's break down the newest sound bites to the replay system. You know, I'm a huge fan of Alex Hunter. Oh, baby. Plus, I love Wes Miller. And honestly, AJ Caldwell. Just a heck of a shot by a heck of a guy. You had heard the last two, but the first one. Now we've got sound bites of you saying about three different teams around the Southern Conference that are not ETSU that you love something or someone about them or their program. I'll go so far that I've petitioned Wofford. Not to make a poster of A.J. Caldwell getting dunked on where he just got murdered on that dunk. And I've, I petitioned to please don't, for my sake, make a poster of A.J. Caldwell, in which there is a great shot on their website of Godwin, belly to the face, two-hand slam. It's nasty. If you've seen the whole clip, you know what I'm talking about. But I've, I've petitioned that. Um, I think clearly we all know Alex Hunter uh, is my favorite player. You know, um, I'm a huge fan of Alex Hunter. Now, I don't know about Wesley. I, I do love Wesley. He's I a, love uh, Wes Miller. There you go. I love. You know what I love most about Wes Miller? What? When he gets ejected and costs his team a game. That's my favorite Wesley Miller. I if I could get more Wes Miller of that, I would love that. I'm thinking right in that corner over there where there's no turf, a big blank white wall in the studio would be the perfect place for the photo I got courtside. That is just right in his grill, head down, right after he got ejected, walking off the floor. That would be the perfect place for that. And then right above it, some kind of sign that says, Jay Sandoz hearts this man. <laughs> I love Wes Miller. Let's go. Let's okay. get it done. All right. Okay, so Second. ETSU. Desmond yep. Oliver. So this has been a point of contention between you and me off air. So I wanted to try to break it down on air for you, for me, for everyone, because Coach Oliver – I think to understand what he's trying to do, you have to understand his system that he is trying to run, right? I think that goes hand in hand. I think one thing leads to another, two plus two is four, so on and so forth. In Desmond Oliver's case, uh, it seems like three plus three is a victory. He wants to shoot lots and lots of threes and get up and down the floor. What he often talks about is 75 possessions. And we got into a discussion about this the other day, about what exactly possessions meant. Is it Every time you get across half court, is it shots plus turnovers? Are you including free throws? What goes into the number? And then I went back and broke down after listening to Coach Oliver and after determining what I thought it meant, all of the numbers and what ETSU has gotten to in certain games this year, what the record is in those games, so on and so forth. But first, here's Coach Oliver. Last night, ETSU Radio Coaches Show, you asked him the question, what does that 75 number mean? Tell us about the system. So if you get X amount of shots and you turn the ball over X amount of times, um, and then your free throws, you know, those are possessions that, that you got fouled on. So, I mean, those are the categories that you add or subtract that will give you your overall possession. I think last game we had 86 possessions. We scored 88 points. For, you know, for some reason, listen, when you have some talent, and we have some talent, and you can go down, if we never turn the ball over and could go get 85 shots every game, we're going to score in the 80s. Even if we shoot 40, 40 plus percent, we shoot under 50, we just are going to be in the 80s. And, and, and that's just getting a chance at the goal. And so we've been talking about that. And so I encourage my shooters to shoot. 
in fear of, you pass it too many times, you end up turning it over and getting a worse shot than a shot you could have got the second, the first, second, or third pass. And so I encourage those guys to shoot shots they practice. And so we practice certain shots that come in the offense. Now, unconventional, right, because the theory is from most traditional coaches, move the ball. Everybody touch the ball. More passes is going to equal a better shot, is going to equal more points. And I think partially for that reason, just to peel back the curtain a little bit, you and I have been at various points a little bit critical of the system and its ability to work either on or off air, correct? Yes. Not overly critical. Oh, no, no, no. But speculating on if it could be successful. And let me just backtrack a little bit. We had these same conversations when Randy Sanders was giving us his offense not just 2018, but 2019, and we were very confused on what he was trying to do in the system, and we tried to ask him similar questions to figure that out. So this is something that we do a lot. My experience, because, again, you know, I'm not the basketball guru, but working closely with Coach Bartow and on his staff, Scott Wagers, and he was huge on something that took me forever to understand, which was points per possession. He was big on that and gave a lot of statistical analysis and all these breakdowns and on this top defense point per, and, and at some point I'm like just does it matter just just score the ball just <laughs> get stops right just get stops or on the other side get scores I feel like that's I wanted to yell but he was so into that and he was like here's what it is in point per possession and this is why we're doing this and this is you know or whatever and so I've spent a lot of time with coach wagers with that I spent a lot of time with coach Forbes and coach Shea there were a little different philosophy of you can get a three at any time on the shot clock. So don't take the first three that's available, see if you get something else, and then get it. And I think sometimes we get lulled into this was, you know, ingrained in the brain, right? One more, extra, keep going. You can try to get a let, you know, and here. The difference was they weren't counting possessions. They didn't want a certain type of flow. They wanted, you know, a certain shot over the flow. Coach wants a flow. He wants athleticism and athletes to win out, and I think he said it, and I thought he said it in a, a, a smart way that didn't take a shot at anybody, even his own players, like, hey, maybe we don't have the most skilled guys in certain spots, but it'd be hard to argue, and I can make a case, and I've said this for many years, ETSU, if not mostly – the most athletic team in the league for 20 years, 25 years, going back to Mister. It's in the top two or three every year. And talented is how he phrased that. Right. right. So they're more athletic, so why not use your athleticism? And I think that's to his point. Like, yes, there are more. Jake Stevens is turned into a skill guy, right? He's not going to overwhelm you with athleticism. You know, so I think there's a difference between what he's talking about there. So he wants to use the fact that ETSU can run, and now that they've gotten in transition more last several games, they're getting dunks or doing some things to affect the flow. They're hitting shots. And, of course, you always look smarter when you hit shots. There are going to be games where clearly shots don't drop. And then you could probably, you know, look at the system and go, oh, I take quick shots. But the quick shots, they want rebounds, they want whatever it is. You know, does it hide stuff defensively, which I thought was interesting. He admitted, you know, hey, defensively, inside, I mean, I'm not – this isn't earth-shocking news, but we're not very good inside. We, You know, if we had a decade at 250 pounds, you know, we'd be better. Charlie Weber is okay inside. We still need a little bit more out of him. But Jaden Seymour, is, he's going to be overwhelmed. I mean, he's 205 pounds. 
it's going to be very difficult for him to consistently make stops. So there's other things that you have to do. He always kind of talked, he being Oliver, talked a little bit around sort of the possession. So it was good last night to say, okay, is it when it crosses half court? Because that's what I would consider a possession. Because sometimes he would talk about shots and turnovers and it wouldn't be free throws. Or sometimes he wouldn't talk about. That was most of my confusion. Right. Sometimes he wouldn't, you know, he would talk about no turnover. It was weird. It was just different things. Or we needed more turnovers to get more possessions, which was confusing to me too. There was something, but he, I think he cleared it up on what he's looking for, which helps me, I think as a broadcaster too, and probably when you do TV, understand what is going on. And I've watched the shoot-around. I've watched some practice. They run a lot of drills where guys run to spots, and if you catch it in your spot, you shoot. And I know if you're familiar, if you're an old-school basketball fan and how a little Marymount wanted to play back in the day, it's a different system. Marymount used to run to a specific spot, and they wanted a shot every four seconds, and it was throw to a guy who ran a specific spot. This isn't that. It's not like you can only run to spot X, and that's what Lolo Marymount would do. You'd run to spot X, and you'd have two spots on the floor. You run to one of the two, you catch it, you shoot. Like, it's not that type crazy system where they want to score 140 or whatever the heck they were putting up back in the day. But there is a certain where he talked about if a guy has space and it's in a spot that we've practiced and in a spot that – you know, coach hasn't said, hey, don't shoot that, then you have the green light to shoot that. So I think it's, you know, again, time will tell what's going on. I thought Randy Sanders was a, a nutcase for some of the stuff that he was installing offensively and ETSU couldn't run it. We looked bad offensively. And then all of a sudden, two, three years later, you're starting to see the fruits of the labor of, and I think football obviously a much more complicated system with 11 guys and different personnel groups and some other things that go into play and not that basketball isn't complicated because they're obviously running different things and taking different defenses to try to take stuff away but certainly getting five guys on the same page as opposed to 11 guys on the same page I think is a whole different animal but it was interesting to see his thought process and then I have not. Have you gone back and broken yes. that? Okay, so that's where you're going. So with. that's part of the story behind all of this stuff with Desmond Oliver and the 75 magic number. Here's the hard numbers of it. So, firstly, and this is not super consequential because I did not factor in free throws to possessions because sometimes you have one free throw, two free throws, three free throws. So if it's 16, you can't just say, well, eight possessions and add that on. So I didn't do that. But even without that, you can see kind of what Coach Oliver is going for. Firstly, the Bucks have not been to the line more than 16 times in a Division One game this year, which I thought was startling. That is startling. That, to me, it just blew me away because typically that's a huge source of added offense, easy points for teams if they're going to have offensive success. Or on days where they're not being able to shoot the ball well, then you can at least get aggressive, go to the line. But that hasn't happened at all this season. Not super consequential at this point, just thought it was interesting. So, 75. We've heard him say that he wants to aim for right around 10 turnovers, so then 65 shots. And again, that was part of the confusion for me, because then that's not factoring free throws. But, let's say that 65 shots is the goal, right? Because he has said that. Games in which the Bucks have had 65 shots this year. USC Upstate. Now, only 56 points, 
But it's to Coach Oliver's point that you shoot a low percentage, you still get more shots, and you're going to get enough to win. Obviously, they only allowed 43 points that day. Lee's McRae, UAB, now you turned it over too much, 18 times. Tied for a season high with that loss to North Carolina a and literally kept throwing in the ocean the second right. half either. Moorhead State and VMI, two of your better wins. So 4-1 and one the record, and some of your best wins outside of Naples when you get 65 shots or more. Okay, games in which they have gotten 75 shots or turnovers combined. USC Upstate, Lee's McRae, UAB, Moorhead State, VMI. That list doesn't change. Okay, Games in which they have gotten between 65 and 75 shots or turnovers. And this is where I think things get interesting. This is the vast majority of the games. App State, okay, you're in that game. That's against an NCAA tournament team, first game of the year, right up to the final Had possession. Had a shot to tire away. On a call that could have gone either way. Tennessee, that obviously didn't go well, but at that time they were a top you know, 20 team in the country. Murray State, great win. Missouri State, great win. Kent State, I don't know if you call it a great win, but it was in a championship game of an MTE. Third game, third day, sure. Lenore Ryan, okay, now you want North Carolina A&T, which hurts. <laughs> UNC Asheville. Georgia, Western, Furman, Sanford. Okay. A lot of those games. Now, North Carolina A&T, you're right in it. Appalachian State, you're right in it. Tennessee, throw that out, Power 5. But... Uh, UNCA, throw that out, Drew Pember. Every game, even Furman, you're tied at 69, going to the final three minutes. Every game you either won or were right in until the end, minus the Tennessee game and the UNC Asheville game. Again, Drew Pember outlier, Tennessee outlier. You're 5-1, and one, by the way, when shooting 50% or better. It obviously helps when shots go in, despite Coach Oliver's, you know, well, you only need to shoot 40%. Obviously, he'd be the first to tell you, the more that go in, great. That's awesome. Five and one when shooting 50% or better. It's icing on the cake. Games with single-digit turnovers this year. Appalachian State, Lenore Ryan, Moorhead State, Georgia, VMI. Probably should have won the Appalachian State game, or at least could have, and then won all the others. So you keep turnovers low, just like if shots go in, things are going to be better. And then the final one. You're 7-0 and since Naples when you score 80 or more, 0-5 when you don't. Know. He talked about 80 being that number, even if you shoot 40%. If you're able to get you know, 65 shots, if you're able to get 75 possessions, whatever the case may be, even more than that, you're going to get 80 points, and 80 has been the magic number. And by the way, when you get below 65 possessions, quote-unquote, and I'm counting those as turnovers or shots, chat and Wofford, two worst losses of the year. So as the possessions go down and you're not able to play your pace – there is less and less success. If they go up and you're at 75 or more, or even from 65 to 75, your record is better and better and better. And those were the two games they got dominated on the glass. That's true, too. Well, they've gotten dominated on the glass a decent amount lately. But, yes, uh, that did stand out in those games. So, again, 4-1 and one when you get – 75 shots or turnovers combined. USC Upstate, Lee's McRae, UAB, Moorhead State, VMI. And then 65 to 75, there is a little bit more of the mixed results. But outside of a Power 5 and then just an outlier with UNCA, you either win or are within a possession. Or in the Furman game, you were tied for 37 minutes. You're right in every game. So, all that to say, the reason I wanted to do this segment, we have been skeptical of the system, but if you break down the numbers – and look at them a little bit closer, 
I'm starting to get won over a bit and believe that there is a tangible method behind the madness. Not that I thought Desmond Oliver was like off in some fairy world or anything. I just was not sure that this system was one that could have consistent success, the numbers say otherwise. I think it kind of goes back to what you know. And Ed DeCellis' system, and I had one year with Coach DeCellis, very different from Coach Bartow's system. And it took didn't take a, a long time to sort of get to know, just because I only spent the one year with Coach DeCellis, even though I watched more games. I just didn't cover them intently. And then you kind of learn, and then as it evolves and go, and then Coach Forbes, Coach Shea worked together. So, you know, it took a while to get their system. And then once you get going, Coach Oliver is just different. I mean, honestly, he's he's the polar opposite of Coach DeCellis in his system, uh, who obviously, you know, his system has evolved, but he's much more of set plays Princeton style type, not full Princeton as VMI has gone, but that's a lot of Coach DeCellis. I mean, it's a use the clock, grind it out, you know, Wofford type game Coach DeCellis wanted to run. Coach Barto really wanted um, a little bit of a hybrid. He wanted to run certain years when he had running teams, and if he didn't have running, you know, if you got Tim Smith, he's a fast man in college basketball, right? You use him. And so that's what he did. And then when they had the big three, it was a little bit more sets and let the big three go with Smith, Pegram, Tiggs. And then towards the end, it was zone defense, suck the life out of the game and try to play 48-42 or whatever the heck they were trying to do at the end. So, But I did all those flows. It just – Coach Oliver's system is very unique and different to what any TSU team has done except for when the game was played completely different with Mr.'s group. There was no defense. Everyone was scoring 100. It was all quick shots and alley-oops. And so it's a little bit owed to them, but the game and the thought process of how the game is played is way different. But it's almost like that. It's They want to run. They want to try to get layup dunks, or they're going to shoot a lot of threes. And that was a lot of the glory year teams. And so I think is the system, if it gets perfected and as they continue to grow in it and – those wins start to happen. I've often said this many times. I used to have an argument with Coach Wagers, and he wanted to press nonstop every single second because he had a theory. If it's 94-88, even if you lose, people are entertained. If you lose 48-42, it's disgusting. If you win 48-42, you win, but you don't feel good about it. Fans leave like, oh, God, I'm glad we escaped. Right? You don't, even though you're winning, you win a lot. Like if you watch Virginia every time, I mean, unless you're pot committed to watching that system, it's very, you know, or you're pot committed to the three-back offense and you want to watch that grind-it-out fullback dive a lot, you know, unless, unless that system's winning and grinding, it's tough to, to stomach as opposed to Sanford, who's always entertaining in football, right, giving up, you know, 48-45 no matter what. Even if they're up 20, somebody's going to get back in it. That was sort of his theory. That's where Al Mister and those guys played back in the day. So as this gets going, and if ETSU can continue to perfect and they get, you know, not just this year, but moving forward. I mean, um, Tipler's now on campus, right? D'Anthony Tipler's on campus. He averaged 14 at Coastal at Sunbelt. He's a guy that can shoot it, but that gives you another short guard like Jordan Coffin. So they're going to – Coffin. Jordan Kings, they're going to have to bring in 
some big transfers, which Coach said last night, to see But how are, the, are those guys going to be skilled? Are those guys going to be three shooters? Are those guys just going to be rim protectors? I'm just curious to see how the system goes. Learning this, though, and the deep dive of it and getting some answers, I think, help gives clarity not just to me and you, but I'm assuming most fans are kind of curious about the numbers, how that works. And, again, it was it was good to see that he has somebody charting when the offense crosses half court. You know, if you have a turnover in the, in the backcourt, and not the ETSU's had that many of them, if you have a turnover in the backcourt, right, that's not a possession, really. You know, you didn't get across half court. Once you got across half court, some of those numbers can change a little bit, but as Mike said, it's not going to be a lot because the Bucks haven't had a plethora of free throws. And, yes, there can be times you get fouled and it starts with a one-and-one, and, one, and that could be on offensive possession. You also can get a loose ball foul on a defensive rebound and go down and shoot free throws where you really didn't have a possession. So it, 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 you would have to really, without going back and watching everything, you would have to go back and read the box score to get to what it's there. Maybe I can uh, one day talk to John or one of the managers and say, hey, do you guys have just the full chart? They have to have. I'm sure they do. Will they give me the full chart? That'll it's under lock and key. You're not touching So it. I'll be curious to see. But, yes, no, all this is, is interesting. But long story short, when ETSU can – get up and down as coach wants they get the number of shots it seems to be that has led to victories and that's ultimately what you've learned from the breakdown hope people enjoyed it as much as i enjoyed researching it all right we'll step aside for a time out to hear a word as we'll talk women's basketball after this from tano sidekick on the buccaneers worth network for over 75 years bright ridge has powered our community providing the energy to live work and play and now we're looking ahead investing in our community today and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow we're supporting zero emission electric vehicles harnessing the sun to provide clean renewable community energy and expanding into broadband services for our shared future bright ridge your community power here for you Kick back with you. Women's basketball. Two games coming up. We'll break down their two games on Thursday. Coach's show, we did have the game on. Me and Coach Oliver were actually watching. He had it on his phone, and we were watching the game uh, more intently during breaks than during the show. And there was a little spurt there. I guess it was towards the end of the third quarter. It kind of did the women's team in. But it was a two-point game at halftime, if I'm not mistaken. But there was a a 7-10-0 run that sort of put a little bit of distance between Mercer and ETSU, and I think overall when you look at it, that was the biggest spurt of the game and certainly uh, where it got decided. And some of the players that were out for a while starting to come back, it was good to see Carly Hooks back in double figures, still not getting a lot of scoring uh, from a couple of key people, I thought. I mean, Demond Griffin goes 0 of 8. I would have bet any, not that we're allowed to bet, but if you would have, made any type of wager at me that uh, Demonic Griffin would have eight shots and yet not find the bottom of the net. I don't know what paycheck I would have lost, but it would have been a lot because I would never guess that. And the only, I think, disappointing thing for me was that six or eight shots were from three. And not that she can't shoot, but certainly I think she has to establish herself inside because that's the lacking part 
Um, and if you could get Griffin and Ja'Kai Davis, whether they're on the floor at the same time, whether they're subbing in and out for one another, but if you can get those ladies in the paint and scoring where I think they are at their best at that point, I think certainly that changes things. What do you think's missing from this roster? I mean, I look right now, and there's Jayla Roberts gone, right? Kai Upton gone. <coughs> Pardon me. And Courtney Moore is taking over the point, really, and she's been good. She was great last night. I mean, 17 points on seven shots. You could not ask for a more efficient night, and it was good to see her have that kind of evening because she had three, four games in a row where she was in double-digit shots and only made three, four, five of them and pretty deep into double digits. And it's difficult if you're a Courtney Moore who has long been a great shooter and has long been able to create your own shot and really dominate at your level of competition, 2,000-point score down in Gainesville. Uh, she was just better than the level, right, at PK Young Developmental School. And here in the Southern Conference and in the non-conference for ETSU, she has had the experience that many, many others that are dominant in high school have had, that she can't just simply be better than everybody. There's more that has to be done, right? It has to be more tactical. There has to be an intent behind everything. You can't just out-quick, out-strength, out-whatever the person across from you. And so she's had her struggles adjusting to that. I think you look at a lot of the games recently going into yesterday, and you can just point to the sheer lack of numbers that ETSU has had available, the sheer lack of, and this is not a knock on the four true freshmen. They're young, right? The COVID freshmen um, have had success in Carly Hooks and Ja'Kaya Davis, and but it's a lot to be able to just bring over from a new coaching staff, you know, the system that wants to be run, just a lot of things to take into effect. And so seeing Courtney put up seven shots, get 17 points, be the team's leading scorer with people next to her, I think that that was a true representation of what she can be rather than the last three, four games where it's been basically her, right? She's been the scoring threat. Kai Davis has been out there, sure. She's not having the scoring year that she did last season. Um, really, it's been Courtney to carry the load, and I think she's felt some of that pressure. Now, yesterday, she's got people around her, and all of a sudden, there's more room on the court, right? <laughs> you can't just key in on Courtney and double her off the dribble, and you can't just guard her really close without the fear that she'll blow by you. Um, you know, you have doubles coming in those last three or four games where here you have to almost stay on your player a bit more than you did previously if you're the opponent because there's more talent out there in Carly Hooks and uh, Demaya Griffin, even though she didn't have a good day. Um, so that was great to see. And you looked at the 10 nothing run, you mentioned it was 44 to 40, and then all of a sudden 54 to 40. And Coach Harris tweeted after the game, very proud of this effort in making. Only thing to think about is playing as hard as you can for as long as you can, hashtag the expectation. And that's been something he's preached forever. Play as hard as you can for as long as you can. And I think that yesterday just came down to we played as hard as we could for as long as we could, and we just don't have the reinforcements that we need. This roster looks so much different. We haven't played together nearly as much. We're still adjusting. You see Abby Carrington still in the lineup, the starting lineup. Sarah Thompson's still in the starting lineup. These are things that you thought you wouldn't see maybe after that first week or two, or even when players did come back, but that's persisting. And if Demiah Griffin is going to go 0 for 8 from the floor, 0 of 6 from deep, and she was 5 of 11 going into the game from outside, but what's missing, to get back to my original point, is athleticism on this roster. And Demiah Griffin, if you look up and down the roster, 
Take out Jayla Roberts, right? She's gone. Take out Kaya Upton, she's gone. Jameer Houston is out for, from what I understand, the foreseeable future. Uh, you've got Hooks, Moore, Davis, Griffin, Carrington, Adams, Thompson, Vananda, Burdick, Rice, Kirkham. The best athlete on this team is Demaya Griffin. And so I agree with you that camping outside the arc, taking six threes, that can't be her role on this team. She's got to be able to slash, dice up the defense, and go in and use that athleticism to finish at the rim or even just play 15 feet and in. You know, because she's tall, too. She, she can outlength people. So I'm with you. It was demoralizing CO of six from three and then only two shots from two because Griffin's game is horrible. I, the, in the third quarter, I agree. I think the third quarter maybe is what he's talking about because it wasn't the fourth quarter and it wasn't the first half. But when you're talking about playing a complete 40-minute game, right, All everything counts. And in the third quarter, just two of 14 shooting – Got outscored 18-6. I mean, there was some things. You know, they bounced back. ETSU did in the fourth quarter. Was able to shoot the ball fairly decent. Got to the line. I think that was important. But you look at the, the first half shooting numbers, 6 of 15 first quarter, 7 of 12, right? Solid numbers, 3 of 3 from the line. Then the third quarter, it was 2 of 14, just 14%. 2 of 8 from 3. 4 of 13 and a fourth isn't great, but 6 of 10 from the line. And so – for the game, you're 9 of 13 free throw line, 69%, just 7 of 27 from three, obviously not good, 35% from the floor. But you look at the rest of the game, and really I think the third quarter is the law. I think there's a certain points in the game, right? Georgia Tech, it was the first quarter. And then really the second through the fourth really wasn't that bad of a basketball game, right? They almost toe-to-toe. I think Georgia Tech outscored by two or something crazy. I mean, you can look at certain games this year, and there's just that stretch that they – ETSU just somehow can't stop, avoid, get over. So I think when talking about playing everything and playing to the end and competing and going as hard as you can, I think sometimes as people just turn to the last quarter, right? Well, they ran out of gas. Well, that's not necessarily the case in some of the games when you take a look at it. You know, Chattanooga, right? Ugly first quarter. Uh, Did they get off two points? Uh, They may have scored – Four points against Chattanooga in the first quarter, but only two in the first eight and a half minutes. So, uh, again, I think it's it's when the lull comes. I don't think it's that they're not competing till the end. I think it's how can they get out of whatever it is, that eight, ten-minute stretch that they seem to have. And sometimes they break it up. There's a five, six-minute stretch here and a five, six-minute somewhere else. But I think, to his point, he's getting 30 minutes out of his team. You know, it's just not as simple as it's the last quarter. And for this one, it, it, I think it is almost as simple as the third quarter because outscored them in the fourth quarter. So I think it's the third quarter. It didn't, but there is a about a 10-minute stretch where they're just not able to put it all together. So he's trying, Coach Harris, to figure out how to get that going and getting some of the ladies that have missed a while back on the floor to get them to produce again I think is going to take a while. That's yeah. a, a, you know, uh, Demi played five minutes, right? Demaya played one minute. And they didn't Jack. play for 20-some days, even even before the ladies were on the exactly. break. Exactly. And then Carly plays even like more than 19 from her. I mean, 13 points in 19 minutes, that's solid. But you're going to need more than 19 minutes from her. So I agree. I think it's going to be a slow walk into getting all of them back on the court as much as you would want. And I was shocked to see Demaya Griffin play only one minute against Chattanooga. 
good to see her out there for 20, although it obviously wasn't a good day for it. Just Mercer, looking at the game itself, just did exactly what they've done the last couple of years. It was Doherty, Neil Tyser, and Titus. Last year it was Jada Lewis. This year it's Endia Banks. And Doherty, Neil Tyser, Titus, and Endia Banks, 53 of the team, 66 points. They're top-heavy. They're a lot like on the men's side, Furman, where they're going to rely on the same guys. And if you are able to, and in Mercer's case, the same gals, if you're able to get one or two of them in foul trouble, and all of a sudden it's a big two or a big three instead of a big four, we saw what happened with the big four these last two years for Mercer. The big three, three years ago, didn't work very well. They didn't have the fourth. And you were susceptible with just Neil Tyser, Doherty, and Titus to if one of them gets in foul trouble. And then it's two. And then there's five players on the defensive side. You can key in on those two, and the other three around them can't do anything. So if you can lock down those two with the other saddle on the bench in foul trouble, or if one's just having an off day, right? If one's just like two of 15 and they can't shoot, well, leg off them and go help on the other two. But with four, it makes it really tough. And they do have four this year, just like they had four last year when they went to the NCAA tournament for the third time in four years. So Mercer just did what they do. And now ETSC's got UNCG, who are a much more manageable foe. We can talk more about them on Thursday because we're going to do a Thursday show before that contest, recapping the men's basketball game versus Mercer and previewing the women's game against UNCG and then the weekend for the men. But UNCG is a much more manageable opponent. They are really, really, really struggling. And that roster is not reshaped in personnel, but reshaped in terms of who is doing what. And they've had problems adjusting to that. They've been in a lot of close games, lost a lot of close games. Uh, so that is going to be an interesting contest in the sense of I think those two teams would believe that they're better than the other. You know, UNCG, TSU, Western Carolina are the three winless teams in the league right now. And let's be honest, for Coach Harrison company, and we talked about this even before the year started, fifth place finish would be massive success. Maybe even sixth place finish would be big success because of what the roster looked like, what the turnover looked like, and where the program was when he took over. So, big one on Thursday. Second chance points, 18-2, Mercer, on 11 rebounds. So, again, post-play. I've got, got to have, I think, Griffin out there. There's just not a lot of size. So, I think that's another area I just want to touch on very quickly. And, of course, we'll get into that, the matchup Thursday, the matchup Saturday for women. And, again, we'll recap men on Thursday. We'll talk about their matchup. Uh, coming up on Saturday. Now it's time, Mike Gallagher. It's my favorite time. I got another win, baby. MLB by storm this season. He's the first player in MLB history to be selected to the All Star Game as both a pitcher and a position player. The Brooklyn Nets are home. They are done. If they were committed, if they put in that work, you'd be in the Houston Conference right now. The Brooklyn Nets are home watching a playoff with the rest of us. Bill McGee has been added to the Team USA roster. Yes, I'll say that again. JaVale McGee. Jamari Monsanto announced he would not be play. returning to the Buccaneers. He's a 6'6", 225-pound three-star shooting guard. Was this year's Southern Conference Freshman of the Year. With Jay as my teammate, he stepped up with the 17 green to our left. I don't even know how this is going to 45 yards away. Jay proceeds to hit from the 18th street to the 17th green and into the 17th block. All right, bold predictions. Mike, got to go over them. 
Negative. The only reason I keep hitting the bumper for this segment and doing it is because the bumper is so fun. And that's the only reason to continue at this point because it is total destruction. Once again, I miss two bold predictions by inches, really. Seconds. I said every home team wins on wild card weekend. Bengals won. Bills won. Bucks won. Rams won. Chiefs won. Cowboys with a quarterback sneak right in the middle of the field. No timeouts. Dak Prescott stays on his feet. What? Two, three yards too long? Ugh. It's a loss. Men's basketball, most points scored this year, is 92. They top that against Sanford Saturday. What was that like? Another 30 seconds of game action away from getting that? Unbelievable. And I got my women's basketball one wrong, too. You got your women's basketball one wrong. You got your New England beats Buffalo very, very wrong. I begged you not to do that, by the way. I was you did. Telling you did. You, just don't say it. Please. You did. You're just going to you regret did. it. I should, have, I should have said Buffalo by 40, and then they would have won. That's well, probably what One I thing said. you don't regret saying, Mercer wins both of their games at home. The Mercer Bears took down You kind of scoffed at that, too. You actually begged me to change that one, too. Uh, no Alvarez. No Alvarez. You sure? You what sure? was it? UNCG and who? BMI. Those are two good wins. Yeah. Two good wins. And then they followed it up with the Monday... Went over the Citadel on the road. Again, you believe in Mercer and I do not. You got another one right. <laughs> what are we at now? Do I even want to look? Let's see. Uh, 16 to 4. Woo-hoo-hoo! You're quadrupling me up. Ugh. If we counted ones that I've missed by like a second or two or a yard or two, I'd be like up 10 to nothing or like, you know, yeah, 10 to nothing. That makes sense. Yeah, sure. sure. I'm just all against turned out. I have no idea. I, mean, I just flustered Slavic. All right, so the men will take on Mercer Wednesday at 7. We'll recap that. We'll preview their game against Citadel the weekend. We'll talk women's hoops. We'll preview that UNCG. We'll also talk West Carolina. And then I don't know if we'll have time for fell downs or not. If we do, we do. If not. Uh, I'm 4 and 41 in bold predictions. 4 and 41, Jason. That's glorious. You are the New England Patriots of the playoffs. Did right you now. say we're not doing bold predictions Thursday? I hear you're no, Oh, yeah, bold predictions Thursday. Here we go. We got to do it on Sandos and the sidekick. Guess what? It's on the Buccaneers Network. <laughs>